Wow, you may be seated. What a fantastic group you are. What an amazing group. Incredible. And the lighting, and the sound, you guys are just amazing. I just am um, impressed. Go home and learn how to start a church. You young people have impressed me and everybody else. It's just an exciting, brilliant atmosphere. And there's no doubt you guys are right on the cutting edge of everything. Yes. So you could give yourselves a pat on the back, really. And just. How incredible you are. I've been to a lot of places, but I don't think anywhere with an introduction to a service like tonight. I think you're just brilliant. Wonderful. Well, Anne and I bring greetings from our church at home, and they all send their love. And uh, really, uh, thinking about us over here this weekend, and they would just love to be here. My young people would love to be here. They mightn't want to come home again, but they'd love to be here. <laughs> and uh, so, there you go. You young people are really something else. We live in a very crucial time, don't we? A very, very crucial time. We've got so used to a, just a foregone conclusion that everything will keep getting better and better and better and better, as it has done for so many years, that the credit crisis, so it's called, has come as such a jolt, and a lot of people will get hurt out of it. And really, this world is in some ways, an insecure place. We cannot tell what the next generation is going to be like. We have only got today. We've only got one life to live. And what we can pass on to the next generation. So that our, our lives or our faith or what we build over our lives in God can live on on this earth after we've gone to heaven. But you can look at the future and it can look a bit bleak, especially if America's power waned, the economic power in the world, and China's power rising, the Middle East flooded with money. So the world could look a dangerous place. But there is one certain security, and that is God loves you, and He loves me. That God will watch over me, and God will watch over you, and God will care for us as we walk into the future. I'd like to speak tonight on the call of God. 
I remember many years ago, as a young man, born again, home on the farm, one night digging post holes, building a bigger pigsty, make some more money. And God spoke to me. God spoke to me fairly often. But he spoke to me. And he said, Clark, I want you to give one night a week to me. And I thought about that. And I thought that that will delay my goals that I have to get myself ahead. Because I used to work whenever I could. I didn't do much else except work. And uh, so I, after a time, I felt God's presence near me. And, and I said, all right, God, I will. And I said, what do you want me to do? He said, I want you to tell people about me. Well, I was very shy. Come from the Northern Territory and isolated lifestyle. Now down south on a farm cattle property. Batching. And that was a big challenge to me. And I thought, well, who can I get? Well, I'd bought a bit of land and I had a guy carting timber for me for a little while and out of this piece of land and I was selling this timber. So I thought, I'll go and tell him about Jesus. So I, off I went. I'd been to church, I suppose, about twice and I knew nothing except Jesus had saved me. And I was a few weeks old as a Christian. And church was once a month. Six farmers went to church. And when I got saved, I made the revival, the only one they had. <laughs> and we used to go and listen to this sermon, which I could never understand. It was in words I couldn't understand. And then we'd go outside and talk about the cows, how they were milking, and the pigs, and have a smoke. <laughs> and then we'd go home and get the cows and milk again. And that was church. So I, I went down to this guy and I knocked on the door and then I thought to myself, what the heck am I going to tell this fella? I don't know how to tell him anything. And I suddenly got so nervous and so tongue-tied and he opened the door and he said, Clark, come on in and have a cup of tea. And I stood there rooted to the spot. And he looked at me and said, you okay, Clark? I said, yeah. He said, what do you want? And I blurted out, I've come to tell you about Jesus. And with that, he reached out, put his arm on my shoulder. He said, hey, mate, she's okay. Come on in. He thought I'd lost my marbles or something. <laughs> That was my first attempt at fulfilling the call of God. It was a total disaster. After a time, I was just working away and God had talked to me and I'd, I'm changing my lifestyle and working away with God. I didn't find it all that easy to live a Christian life. And I was just working away at it as best I could. And I, God spoke to me again. He said, I'd like you to start a Sunday school. 
Well, I'd never been to Sunday school. I didn't know what you did in Sunday school. Well, I said, okay, that's what you want me to do. So I went around some farmers and I knocked on their door and I got a bit more courage up now. And I said, I'd like to start a Sunday school here. I'd like you let me take your children and teach them Sunday school. Well, surprisingly, they said, okay. And I had a V-Dove at the time with a dicky seat in the back. You know those things? And I stuffed 11 kids in that V-Dove. <laughs> Didn't have the same crazy road rules we got today. I had them stuffed in behind that seat. I had them everywhere. And I went around all the farms, picked up these kids, took them to Rath Downey. I went to Barney View Methodist Church, went, took them into Rath Downey. There was a Methodist church there. Not many more came to there. Seven, eight, nine people went there, I suppose. Just farmers. And I couldn't sing. I've had about 50 years practice since then and I still can't sing. I could empty this hall real quick. <laughs> and then it was shocking. And I'd gone to the minister in Badesert, 27 miles away. And I said to him, I got trouble reading, you know. I hadn't really learnt to read and write properly. And I wanted to teach these kids Sunday school, and I've got 11 kids coming to Sunday school. Would you tell me a Bible story so I can tell it? And so he told me a Bible story. It sounded extremely boring. When he told it to me, it was very dry, you know. So on the way home, I was practicing this Bible story, putting a bit of life to it. And stuff like this. And I got those kids and I stood up and I told them this Bible story. It was everything I knew about the Bible, actually. I didn't know anything else. It took 10 minutes. And I thought, heck, I've told them everything I know about Christianity. What on earth am I going to tell them next week? How do I get myself into this? So I took them up to McGovern's and bought them all an ice cream and took them home. <laughs> and that was my Sunday school. Well, we kept on going. I bucked off back to the desert next week and got another story. Went home and worked on it a bit and brightened it up. I told this story. Now, a few of the boys were giving me a terrible trouble. And I didn't know what to do with these boys, about 12 years old. And so I took them fishing one night and told them I'd make them some Johnny cakes like we used to make in stock camps in the Territory. And they went up in the head of the river and went fishing, caught eels and whatever, cooked them on the coals and made them some Johnny cakes. And about midnight I took them home. Well, those boys were my friends from then on. God help any kid that mucked up. They were my security guard. <laughs> I'd won their hearts. That year, that whole, uh, 10 of those 11 kids gave their hearts to Jesus Christ. And it showed me since I've learnt a little bit that it's not how much you know, it's how great your desire is to do something God asks you to do. And in my impression of watching church and being in church all these years, it's that most people wait till they've got it all together 
before they do anything for a fear of failure. Don't fear failure. Just fear not doing anything. Fear doing nothing. Fear sitting in your comfort zone. Dare to be different. Think outside of the box. When I started a church, we called it Christian Outreach Center. And we had nothing, you know, there was nobody, and we just started up, and people came, and we ended up getting into a warehouse. And I wanted children to get some children saved. So I went out in a suit, and I wore a suit, and another bloke wore a suit. We chased each other around the, the areas where there was heaps of kids. And kids came out of their houses to watch us in suits. You might have to do something a bit different today, I don't know. And then we'd fill up a bus and bought five double-decker buses, painted them up with Mickey Mouse and Donald Ducks and everything. And we found that in one half day of going around the suburb, chasing each other and acting the goat, I could get 80 kids to ride that bus to Sunday school. Now, I don't think they came because we mucked around. But I do think they came because we prayed our heart out that God would give us children. And I couldn't bear not to have children. Give us children or I die. God, I've got to have children. So we bought, I went down to Sydney one time. And I was going to buy one more bus. And I saw all these buses. I thought, how many do you think we could fill up with kids? 80 a pop, so I bought five. <laughs> I went home and I said to the people, I said, you are such blessed people to have a pastor like me. <laughs> we had no money. I said, we, I went shopping last week and I bought five double-decker buses. <laughs> and now I'd like you all to pay for them. <laughs> and they did. We took our offering, we paid for these buses. And then we had prayer meetings, half-night prayer meetings. That's praying that God would give us kids to fill these buses. And they were filled with kids. So we had captains on the buses and singing songs on the buses and telling stories on the buses. As these buses came from half hour away, some of them, with full of kids to Sunday school. We started Bible after school Bible clubs, we had 800 children coming to Sunday school before long. Kids everywhere. We didn't have any money. Never did have much money. Never stopped us doing anything. And then you got to these kids were everywhere. We had no building to put them in. And it's hot in Brisbane. It gets really hot. And these kids were left there and they were sitting in the sun because we didn't even have a shady tree to put them under. Every nook and cranny was filled with kids and we'd gone out and got all these kids. And some teachers said to me, Clark, we can't get any more children. We haven't got anywhere to put them. I said, it's not my problem to house them. It's the father's problem to house them. It's only my problem to get them. If God wants them to get sunstroke, that's his problem, <laughs> not my problem. 
So we got these kids and they sat in the sun. And it was a boiling hot day. And they must have been hard teaching them and that's heat. But somebody came by next week. He walked into my office, a bloke I never knew. And he said, I saw you having children, teaching them from the Bible out under the, in the sun. And I said, that's right. He said, why do you do that? Those children will get harmed. I said, sir, it's because I haven't got a building and I can't afford one. And after a few minutes, he said, I own a building and it's empty and you can have it. I said, I can't pay you anything. He said, never asked you for anything. I said, thank you very much. <laughs> we got a building. So we got more kids and we filled that building up too. I have found the call of God is not a prerequisite to you having heaps of stuff. I have found that God will call you when it seems like you've got nothing. And He expects that with your faith in Him and a desire to do the work of God, you will succeed. He makes it possible. That's what I found. I have never found it laid out before me. But I found when I could go no further that God would open the door for me and we go through it. And I personally do not believe that door would have opened except we've put ourselves out there and that open the door or we bust. Eight years ago, Anne and I, it's been our life, you know, just doing things that we couldn't really do, but trusting God to make the difference. And I'm talking like this tonight because I want a lot of you to join me, to join your pastor. Don't wait for a job to be given you. There's children going to hell all over this place, Hastings, Napier, this, this whole Bay City area. Children going to hell, young people going to hell, while you've got the greatest meeting going here in the whole world. I'll guarantee, if you couldn't bear that they wouldn't be here, they'd get here. I started youth. I had some youth, but not many. We'd won some to Christ. And I didn't know how to get youth. I was a lot younger then. But I thought to myself, they're all in the high schools. Drugs were just coming in vogue in those days. And the people were concerned about drugs. So I'd go to the high school headmasters. I didn't know them. Knock on their door and said, I would like to speak to your young people about drugs. And the first four said no. The fifth one said, you can talk at the lunch grounds, and whoever will listen to you, you can talk to them. So I filled all my pockets with change. And I stood in that lunch ground where they were gathered, and I threw the money up in the air. I made sure it scattered a bit. The kids were after the money. 
And I said to him, I've got a camp going on. And there's a camp. I want you all to come. It's going to be a fantastic camp. Well, I've got about 100 of these kids to come. They came, man. They came on motorbikes. They, some of them had, had knives. They, they were a rugged bunch, these kids. Man. The first night I talked on, are the fires of hell real? Oh, tell you what, that put a consternation amongst them. <laughs> Me too. Actually, I was scared. I just wanted to know if they were going to hell I wanted to know what it was like. He of them got up and walked out and roared off home. But a bunch of them came and got saved. And at the end of that night, or the end of that camp, two nights I was there, I had about 40 kids, so I had my youth group. And we started. Then we were into the streets where in the mall, young people used to gather there by the thousands. And so I went into the streets with these kids. And I used to go and we, we would dance in church like you guys do. We just had the old two-step in those days. <laughs> you guys are more modern. But it was modern in those days. It was far out, man. <laughs> it was out there. And so we danced down Queen Street, which is the main street of Brisbane. They had a mall. We had danced down. And the people come to us. They'd never seen people down. We were singing choruses like, like uh, the blood of Jesus and all sorts of choruses. And being, I'm going to hallelujah land and all the ones that were in vogue in those days. You know. They're not in vogue today, but they're old. But they were then. They were modern then. Anyhow, we sang these things. And kids came out. There's a lot of gangs in Brisbane in that time. Mohawks and yellow hairs and all sorts of stuff, spiked hairs and jangles all over their heads and everything. <laughs> and because the, the police came, because we were making noise, you know, and attracting attention, so the police came. And I wondered how I was going to get on with the police. But I discovered that they were my help, because all the wild kids came and joined us. Because if the police were against us, we must be okay. <laughs> so they joined us and they were going and said, what's it on about? And I'd say, it's a revolution. <laughs> I heard about the revolution. Come with us down the road. Now the revolution, got to have a speech about it down here. We we're headed for the park. So he'd have a speech about the mighty revolution that Jesus began. A bunch of them get saved. And they join us. We rented a, a dugout joint that the old trams used to have. They'd gone long ago, but the dugouts were still there underneath the street. So we rented that, blacked it out, and, and made it look youthy and modern. We'd take the kids down there and get them saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. All this stuff. I never found that it was always there laying the plate for me, but I found if there was enough daredevil in me to get out there and to, just to want God to tell me, how am I going to get it? How am I going to get young people and want them enough 
that he gave me away back there in the early 70s. Now the way will be different, but people are the same. Same devil, same flesh, same God. Same needs, same aspirations just in modern clothes and modern framework of thinking. But people are the same. People want different things. But we all, whether we know it or not, want God. And we desperately need Him. We ended up with 400 young people dancing down the streets. We made quite an impact on that city. In fact, when we were finished, there wasn't one gang left in Brisbane. Not one operating. I had lieutenants and captains in my church of every gang. All sorts of gang. There wasn't a mohair or yellow hair left on the streets of Brisbane. They were in my church and I was always sorry when their hair became normal. <laughs> because I thought while they had mohair and all sorts of hair, they could get the yellow hairs where I couldn't reach them. But they could and the yellow hairs would feel safe. I challenged motorbike gangs to come to church and they'd tell me church is boring. I said, you can go to sleep on me while I'm preaching. I'll give you five bucks each. And they had a heap of them took me up and they came. I kept a row near the front for them. They all sat in there, Mikey gang mob. And so I was preaching, so they started to stretch out and yawn. But I jumped off the platform, went down and sat in their lap and shook their heads. I never lost a dollar, <laughs> not a dollar. But I won a lot of motorbike kids, and they joined my church. And so our church grew, finally got to 5,000 people. The call of God has got to go out today to this modern generation to reach this world with modern methods. You young people will dream it. You can do it. And the churches, like I'm positive you do it here, there couldn't be that much life, spirit life in a place and contain it in these four walls. Nor do I think your pastor would want you to. But it's out there. And we get intimidated in the church world we think, well, they're not interested. But they are. They just don't know it. If you had have seen me before I was saved, you would have thought, no point talking to him. But always my heart was lonely. I always wanted God. Out in stock camps, sleep on the ground, ate with my hands and cooked over a fire. But I lie under the stars at night and the stars are brilliant way out there. There's no smog. I'd look up at them and I'd think somebody had to make it. You couldn't get all this here. Somebody had to make it. I used to think to myself, I wonder what he's like but I thought most likely so impersonal 
that nobody would ever know him. But some brain had to make all of this. People who seem like they're not interested in God have got a shell in the front. I had one. But Billy Graham reached through it. And that night while he was preaching, I really didn't hear what he said. But I got caught with a vision. And I tell you the truth, I saw Jesus Christ standing in the air as clear as if I saw you standing in the air. And one overwhelming thought came to me. It's all true what I've heard about. He's real. He did die for me. But you hear about it. It's all true. And I was caught up with that amazing vision the entire time that Billy Graham spoke. And I came out of that vision and I heard him saying, will you come? Will you come? I thought I was a pretty courageous man. Never backed off a fight. Been in a lot of blues. Knocked around the pubs or whatever. Dared to do anything. Ran 16 men on stock camps. Any horse that they felt they couldn't ride, I'd jump on the thing just to be a, the leader and show the lead. And through the, the worst cattle, you'd jump off a horse and grab them by the tail and they'd turn around to poke you to kill you. At a certain point, you could pull down on the tail, you could throw an 800-pound beast. And we did that all, just that was how we caught the cattle that broke from the mob, which was every day. So I, I, I just, I did out there and do it, you know. And uh, so I, I led my men that worked for me, 16 of them. I was 16 when I started doing that sort of thing. And I always thought that somebody was there. Somebody was there. I've talked to the toughest of motorbike men, been jail chaplain to Bogger Road Jail, which is our maximum security prison. Been in the number one division where the murderers and all the rest of them are. Ran halfway house coming out of that jail after 20 years inside and this sort of thing. And cooked for them. I ran the farm and this sort of thing. I've never met a tough man yet. There isn't deep in his heart somewhere. Believe Somebody existed. And I found throughout my life that if you could reach a person in the right way, every person can be reached for God. And every person wants God. They want a real God. They want God who will come and help them. God who will talk to them. God who will listen to them. They want me to teach them how to hear God talk to them. You can hear God talk to you. Depends if you want Him to, really. If you want Him to and you're listening from inside. And you ask God simple questions, not complex questions. 
But make the question simple. God, are you with me? Yes or no? And you'll feel that impression of the Spirit come over, yes. And you'll just know in your heart, God speaks to you with the general voice of God, the voice of faint impression. But that impression is a strong impression. It's like a knowledge on the inside. And you hear Him. And you get to know how God, a spirit, talks to you. And he can talk in big English words and everything else, of course. His knowledge is perfect. He talks to you. Well, I was going to talk about the call of God that came to a man way back in time. But a man who lived just like you and I lived. He'd been through a really hard time. He was second to Pharaoh, who was the head of the greatest nation on earth. It would be like being second to Obama over there in America, greatest nation on earth, even though it's weakened. So the, he was right there, but he killed an Egyptian, thinking he was serving God. And he was found out. And he ran because he knew he'd be killed. He ran with fleeing into the desert. A lonely figure. Murder was the charge over his head. To be killed on sight. Forty years he lived in the backside of the desert. Forty years. I've tried to imagine the emotions that must have fled through him while he ran from the palace in Egypt. He had led the armies of Egypt to war, the super army of the super nation of the world of that day. The greatest military, the greatest chariots that were invented, they owned them. The greatest weapons of war. He was a general of the army. And Acts tells us that he was mighty in words and mighty in power. That his words were incredibly persuasive. As he led the army to war, he had the capacity to stir his troops, to give their all and give their best, and go into the battle with a shout, and the swords drawn, a bloodied, horrible warfare. But he knew how to rally the people, stir them, there was no one like him. Now, fleeing into the desert, thought he was serving God. Only God doesn't ask anybody to murder anybody to serve him. Alone, after 40 years, all the thoughts of living in a palace, going to bed under silken sheets had gone. He was minding a few sheep and goats out in the backside of the desert. Some of you could have felt that you lived on the backside of the desert too. That once there was such hope for you, and somehow or other that hope has vanished. You missed your opportunity. 
You made such a big mistake in your life that uh, people have consigned you to the backside of the desert. Now, often feeling lonely, maybe flooded with regret, you live your life. Maybe you're young people and you've got your health and your strength and your youth filled with dreams. I'd say to you, young people, dream a great dream. Dream the impossible dream. Dream outside of the box. Dream a bigger dream than you think you can handle because you're linked with the Almighty God who can make you so that you can handle any dream. Dream that you'll speak to thousands if that's your dream. Dream that you'll lead lots of children to know Christ. Dream your dream. Dream that you'll build a home church, home cell within your community from people who don't know Christ. And that you'll set your heart to seek God and pray. And so get an anointing over your life. The call of God will come to you. and You feel in your heart, I'm called to this community. And you go out to meet them and to reach them. You go home to pray. And if they knock you back the first time, you go and you do some fasting and praying, believing for their souls, believing for their souls, believing God to put something in your words that will reach into their hearts. And if you go again, you don't get on too well. You go home again, get a couple of mates, get down and pray. Believe God. Believe God. Believe God. And you will find your win. You'll build it. Nothing has to be given to us on a platter. God tells us to rise up and in His power to overcome. There's a call of God for this generation's got to be reached. This is a marvelous church. I'm awed by your church. You have a wonderful church. The Spirit of God is allowed to be God in this place. It's wonderful. And there's a city there. I wonder if you were to dream that with you all into it, with all of you believing, why? I wonder what you could do. I wonder how many you could put in here. How you could pack it to the door. So many of you believe in God in your street, in your community, in your area, going to talk to them, starting young mums groups, all sorts of things. You could do it. You could do it. You say, well, Clark, I don't have the training. You've got God. You've got God and you've got a mouth. What more do you want? Get the training on the job. I've seen people go to Bible college and die. Come out of there so useless they couldn't raise a fit. Just raw God and you. That's all it takes. That's what I've found in my life anyhow. I've found just God and me.
make a majority anywhere, any time. I don't always feel like it. But it's always so. God knew. God knew. Absolutely. There was one night we were gathered up all our young people on the street. And we were down near the festival hall. It used to be the big hall in Brisbane, held 5,000. And there was, uh, the punks were there. All the punk hairdos, they were just, they were there. There was a big concert on. And there was a few thousand of them waiting to get in. And we started up and I said to my guitarist, I had a guitarist then, at that time I only had maybe, I suppose, 50, 80 in my youth group. And I said, man, that's the biggest church in Brisbane, right there. I said, just get on the street over here and you're going to start to sing and we'll all dance. And we started to sing, you know, there's power in the blood and all this sort of stuff. And we were dancing and singing and carrying on and Hundreds of these young people came over, just started to head towards us because we were making such a noise. And a couple of policemen came over and they were disturbed because they thought we were going to cause a riot. And they picked up Eddie Blacklock, who was my youth leader at the time. They picked him up by the scruff of his neck and lifted him up in the air. His feet dangled off the ground. Eddie wasn't all that brave and his Adam's apple was going up and down. Well, I said, come and join us. We're going for a revolution up in the square. And a heap of these punk rockers, they joined with us and we headed up. Well, we had some adults and others that we gathered up along the way. We went into an arcade. They blocked off things. And I had this sudden inspiration. And I said to my fellows, I had some strong men like you. A lot of bunch of them. I said, Hey, you go back there, make a wall along the back. Let nobody out. <laughs> Here are the rest of you. Get across this arcade here. And I turned around and told them that I wanted to talk about the revolution. It was one of my main themes on the street. And those people, they were there. Some of them started to talk, but the Spirit of God came on me and they were still. And lots of them came and got saved. And I said, we're going up here. And one of them that got saved that night was a secretary of the atheist community of Brisbane. He came out in that arcade and he, he gave his life to Christ. I didn't know who he was. One of my young people counseling him came over and told me. And I said to him, come with us, mate, up to the square. And in the square, I prayed for all that had got saved. I don't know how many now, 20, 30 of them, I suppose. And they got them all filled with the Holy Ghost in the square, speaking in other tongues and glorifying God. We went on our way. You can do anything if you want to do it bad enough. This man, here's Moses. He was 40 when he fled out of Egypt. He was 80 now, 40 years in the desert, minding a few sheep and goats out in the backside of the desert. Some of you folks, maybe pastors, felt that you'd been in the backside of the desert somewhere. You're in a place to meet with God. And if you meet with God, 
if you will separate yourself to God, if you meet with God, and let God get all over you, you'll come out of the backside of the desert, you'll turn that desert into a glory place. Well, God made a bush burn, put a supernatural fire inside of the bush, and the bush burnt, but the bush wasn't consumed. Moses turned aside to see. God spoke to him, said to him that he wanted him to go back because his people were under the hard taskmasters, slave drivers, persecuted, downtrodden. Our generation is under the slave masters of sin. It grabs people, grips them, holds them bound, drink, drugs, sex, other such horrible slave masters, anger, violence, thinking I'm a big shot, ugly taskmasters that lorded over people. God said, I'll make you a mighty fire and you'll go back there and you'll get them out. Moses said, no, thank you. No. I don't want to do it again. I've been there. I tried to serve you once. It ended in disaster. Don't want to do it again. He preferred the backside of the desert. He preferred to live his life and live out his days than to rise to the challenge again and dare to stand up and be counted one more time. God spoke to him. He rose up again on the inside. God said, take your shoes off your feet because the ground is holy. Barefooted, bareheaded. He stood in front of that burning bush that contained God Almighty. And he bowed his head and accepted God's call. Now you may not see a burning bush. But there is a burning bush. There's a burning fire from heaven that will burn inside of you and will never burn you up, never consume you. But if that fire gets alive inside of you, that fire will attract people to come to see you burn. And you will shepherd them and watch over them and lead them and guide them. Here you have such a glorious place to bring them to. If everybody here had a call from God to serve God, you would turn the whole Bay City community upside down. Nothing could stop you. Nothing. You get in amongst the youth of this city, high schools, universities, you take the power of God there. It'd follow you back here. And you have the ideal music. Lighting. Sound. You have everything here. Everything. And you have a lot of young people. And I congratulate you. But I'm here, I feel in God to challenge you. To reach out to those that aren't here. 
and give him an opportunity to go to heaven too. Heaven or hell will be the biggest question any person will decide. It's the biggest question you'll decide, or me. Whether you'll spend eternity in hell or eternity in heaven. Nothing else is compared to that. Whether you make a million dollars or not is irrelevant. But whether you go to heaven or not is absolutely, ultimately important. What you do with your life on this earth, you'll be held accountable for. Jesus said so. And when you stand before him on that great day, what will you say? What will you say? What could you have done? I'm nearly through. If you fast forward centuries, the church is there and Moses went back. We know the story, I guess. He led the three million Israel, Israelites out of captivity and crossed the Red Sea. The rod in his hand opened the Red Sea or the power of God in it. Opened the Red Sea and miracles happened. Then this whole book is miracles. God's always done miracles. He's done them for Anne and I. Just a series of miracles. And some hard times too. So, but here Jesus comes to a black-slidden community, builds relationships with 12, 70, 120, 500, dies on a cross, rises from the dead, ascends to heaven, gathers those people, 120 of them, in the upper room. Again, a fire comes. This time, not a bush burning, but tongues of fire. And it sat on each of them. And it burned. And that supernatural fire got down into their bones. Got written into their DNA. And woe is me if I preach not the gospel. I give my life for this. It's the only thing big enough to give your life for. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And those people went out set the world on fire. Many of them lost their lives. But I'll guarantee none of them would have said, I'd exchange my life if you'd give me length of days rather than what I've lived through. Seeing God move, feeling God's power go through your body, feeling His anointing, walk on great altars with you, knowing things about people. I remember once I was, had a pastors and leaders conference. And there was about 2,000 people there. And I was speaking and the power of God was flowing and people were being slain and in those days some of the being slain was very uh, controversial. And some men had come I saw this one bloke, a preacher from somewhere or other, I don't know who he was, still don't remember. And he was sitting back there and I saw him looking so skeptical at me. 
And then I saw him come down as the power of God started to get quite intense. He sat in the second front seat. I saw him looking at me. Couldn't stand it any longer. So I walked up to him and I said, You, sir, you don't believe in this, do you? And he was sort of struck dumb. He didn't expect me to confront him. And he shook his head. I said, Stand up, sir. And so he stood up because they think he was too scared to do anything else. <laughs> and when he stood up, I just pointed at him, but the power of God was on me. And he flew backwards to the ground. And he landed there and his eyes were big. I hadn't picked him up. I felt annoyed with a man <laughs> for sitting in a meeting and being so skeptical about the power of God. I just had an annoyance come over. If you get annoyed in the Holy Ghost, I tell you, great power comes on you. <laughs> it does. I tell you, it does. That bloke who got up and I said to him, try going forward and flip my thumb that way. And he went flat in his face on the floor. <laughs> I didn't bother about catches for him either. <laughs> and a couple more times, I you know, wiped out and I said, well, think about that for a while. And I carried on. On the altar call. Shook his theology around a bit. Very dear theology. I ended up getting six years of it. Didn't do me any good. But meetings with God has done me good. Knowing God. Knowing that God will be with me. That God will help me. And young people and older people, that is all you've got to know. Because once you start to do things that you felt you couldn't do, you will get so hungry for knowledge that you'll go and find it. And you'll eat it all. One year I split 2,000 fence posts with a 12-pound hammer. Hard work in between milk and cows. I'd go up and I'd swing that. I could swing that 12-pound hammer round and round without it hardly stopping until I drove that 8-inch wedge in, 10-inch wedge into that log, split that thing open. I was just muscle and bone. When I went home, I ate anything I could get my hands on. Sausages bit of beef, cook it up, and I'd eat that thing. I didn't care whether it looked fancy, whether that fancy sauce on it or not. I was hungry. I found that since I live a bit better these days, you get more picky. <laughs> but if I was splitting posts again, I'd eat anything. I learned that. I learned it on the farm. Whenever I stopped getting hungry for God, I'd get with God and I'd say, God, I've got to do something that on my own I can't do. I've got to be desperate. I've got to be out there somewhere on the water so that only you can help me. Only you, God, could help me. You could do it. And so we've done it. We've done all sorts of things, weird things, but most of them have worked. Some of them didn't. 
but most of them did. I made some big faux pas, but however, you get over it. We're not made of jelly, you and I. We're Aussies or Kiwis. We're made of good stuff. We don't melt in the rain. We don't melt in a bit of heat. And a few troubles have never stopped a good Aussie or a good Kiwi yet. We can do it. We're made so we can chew iron and spit out the chips. And God made you, he didn't make a mistake. You could dream a big dream. Now I want to be as quick to say, this is one of the best churches I've ever stood in. I am so impressed. I am more than impressed. To say impressed understates it. But because it's such a great church. That you have lived on the finest of the wheat. I know unless you work, you'll get picky. And you'll think this meeting wasn't quite as good as that or something other else. And don't get picky. Go and work hard. Get out and try and win somebody to Christ. Do something that will challenge you. Find God. Pray. Believe. Do. If it fails, pray. Believe more. Do again. Until you break through. And then never quit. Be a Holy Ghost Christian. Be a Spirit-filled man. This world has only ever been changed by people who dare to be different. Who dare to stand out from the crowd. Who dare to know their God. Dare to believe that their God could use them. Doesn't matter if you're young. And doesn't matter if you're old. As long as you've got two feet, two arms and a head, you're okay. Well, well, anyhow. Through it all, I'd have to say God has been wonderful. The greatest friend that a man could ever know. He's challenged me. To the core of my being. One little story I'm through. Can you, can you, you're so polite you wouldn't say no anyhow. <laughs> but eight years ago, I was 63. Anne was, and I, and she's somewhat the same age, a bit younger than me. I'd had a fair bit of heart trouble and I had 26% heart function. I was trying to recover from two strokes. My memory had been fairly much shot. I'd led, I'd led 700 Buddhists to Christ in Sri Lanka. And they had no money. They were very poor. So I bought them some land in Colombo, which is very expensive. I didn't have a lot of money, about 100,000 US saved up. So I bought them this land and then built them a building. And I was 30, 30 grand short. So I went back to America for three more months, preached itinerant round, raised the 30 grand, gave it to them, and came home. So I had about, um, I don't know now, two grand or something to my name, two and a half grand maybe, whatever it was, I forget. Anne had about $1,500 or something like that. 
And God said to us, did you have a start a church? Well, we had nobody. And there came a building for sale. I thought I'd lease it, but I couldn't. We had to buy it. It was 850000 They accepted seven twenty-five. I didn't have five. <laughs> I had no congregation. But Jesus said to us, I will be with you. Five words. In those five words, I said to Anne, what do you think? And thank God for Anne. She said, I feel good about it. So we signed up and bought it. He didn't ask us, did we have any money? So I didn't tell him we had none. <laughs> I bought it on owner's terms. And the terms were seven days on signing $5,000. I had to put $1,500 on the credit card to put the five down. In seven days' time, we had to give him $15,000. We hadn't had a meeting yet. I'd been out of Australia for years. We didn't know who'd come. We knew eight people would come. And Ten days after that, we had to give him another $30,000 and the balance in 16 weeks. My heart was pretty crooked. But Jesus said, I will be with you. And you don't need any more than that. Well, we started off like that and God looked after us. We've never missed a payment. We got the help of a bank. Three banks knocked us back, the fourth one. I phoned him up and I said, what is your decision? He said, we can't do it. I said, surely you must have come to something you could do. He said, you'd need another 60000 By then, by the 16 weeks, we'd raised $270,000, which I think is a miracle. And so we were going out for lunch with some bloke. He didn't look like he had two bob to rub together. But we were going out to lunch with him. And he said, Clark, how did we get on with the bank? And I said, oh, they knocked us back. And I said, uh, he said, well, why'd they do? I said, oh, the last bank said they needed another 60000 He said, well, I can let you have that. Do you want it today or tomorrow? <laughs> I said, today would do. We had lunch, Anne and I did with him. We came back and I rang the bank manager and I said, I have the $60,000. And literally there was a silence <laughs> on the other end of the phone. And I went and we deposited the 60000 We got our loan and away we went. And that was eight years ago. We started 14 churches in Fiji and and look after about 100 churches in Papua New Guinea. We've built churches everywhere, all over there. Done all sorts of things. Had a television program going. Bought all the equipment and everything else. Built buildings all over the property. And all that sort of thing. Spent just about $3 million. We owe nobody a cent. God has looked after us. He has seen us through. And the way through, my heart got worse and worse anyhow, and now it's good. <laughs> and God looked after us. God just looked after us. God looked after us. Collapsed, my heart stopped five times while I was preaching. <laughs> Not a good idea. 
And what can you do about it? <laughs> Paramedics wheeled me out of the church. Not the way to grow a church. And hundreds left, but hundreds stayed. And we kept on going. And God is there, and there's over a thousand of us there now. If God says, I will be with you, you don't need anything else. If God says that he'll help you in your street, the children that are around about you not going to Sunday school, you could pick them up in your car. Of course it would be inconvenient. But then they're going to hell. Let them burn. I like my comfort going to church on Sunday morning. I couldn't really carry kids. They might blow snot in my car. Let them burn. <laughs> it depends. Depends whether you'll get down and pray. Whether you'll like to cry out to God like there's no tomorrow. Or you get a few mates and do it together. Some of you blokes, tough looking blokes, yeah. You could get into it. There's a lot of blokes like you out there. You could get beside them. You would think up ways. God would give you dreams, ideas, concepts. Tell your pastor, sure. But it's not really up to the organization to build a church. It's up to people. We are the body of Christ. And we're filled with the Holy Spirit. The call of God. I felt to talk about the call of God tonight and to challenge you to listen in your heart for Jesus Christ to call you to something bigger, something that stretches you, takes you out of your comfort zone, whether you could do it. Get His Word to you. Get God to say to you, you can do it. You can do it. Ah, there's people everywhere. You just got to go find them. Go get them. Well, that's what God told me to do, I felt, tonight. To challenge you. Get out of your comfort zone. In your private life. And respond to a call of God on your life. Rise up in yourself. Do something great. Let your life count. And see the greatest team of young people here that Mars have feasted on for many a year. You can do it. There's so much life in you, bunch. So many dreams in your heart. There's a devil out there, but he was whipped on the cross anyhow. His butt still sore. <laughs> Just kick it again. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I ask you that you would sovereignly speak to people. I ask you, God, that in the integrity of our life, in the secret place of our heart, you would speak to us.
just drop words into people's hearts. Beckon them to draw aside and seek you. God, you don't even have to leave this Bay City area. There's so much to be done here. But together, we could all do a part. And the whole would rise up like a mighty militant army. And nothing can gainsay it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'd like for those of you who would say to God, God, here I am. Take me. Use me. Speak to me. But not just that and then go home and forget about it. Go home and seek God for it. Press into God. Talk to one of your pastors or leaders. Say, how do I press into God? And those of you who would say that and think like that, I'd like you to make a response. I believe in a response. You only bought a car when you sign on the dotted line. You're walking out to the front as not just the easiest altar call you ever walk out on, but a deep inward commitment that I'll rise up and meet the challenge. And whatever God tells me to do, I'll give it my best shot. Amen. So could we stand and with those of you who wish to respond to that call, just make your way to the front. Stand out in the front tonight. Say to Jesus Christ, here am I. And as you come to Christ, if it costs you everything, but if He gives you the souls of men and women, your life will have been well invested and eternity alone would tell the story. But if you win ten, those ten might win a hundred. And one of those hundred might be a Billy Graham. A great miracle worker that will walk up and down this land and your life had a part in that.